Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Grammarly is a free AI-powered writing tool that assists you from start to finish. Get help brainstorming ideas for your paper and more. Go to Grammarly.com slash students to download for free. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash students. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the guys at Bird Campbell, PA, your Duke-centric law firm, founded by Duke grads Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird, and with offices in Florida and Texas, Bird Campbell means business. Duke fans, hello and welcome to episode 104 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are recording this in the evening on Monday, February 5th. It's the day after the Super Bowl and hopefully you're all recovered. Congratulations to the Philadelphia Eagles fans out there on their victory and hopefully you guys got maybe two minutes of sleep. Uh, We have a lot to get into. We will discuss what happened Saturday in New York City preview the big matchup this weekend against or gets this week against UNC and we have a special treat for you coming up but first I'm Donald Wine and I am your host this week back in my home of Washington DC my other two co-hosts are here with me first off in Denver we have Sam Klein Sam how's it going going pretty well I uh was uh not able to watch the entire Super Bowl but, but what I did see was really exciting it was a pretty good game uh and 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 for most people, it ended the way it should have. So uh, in Atlanta, we have the man, Jason Evans. Jason, what's up? Uh, I watched the entire Super Bowl. Uh, I didn't think I was going to, but as the game went on, I was like, 
I thought I was just going to watch the commercials and like not pay attention. And as the game went on, I was like, this is a really, really good game. And yes, the right team won. And both of my sons are in college in Metro Philadelphia. And so they have been having a lot of fun. And there is an online petition to get the University of Pennsylvania to cancel classes, which my son is trying to get me to sign so that he and his friends can go party for the big parade in a few days. And I'm just not sure if I can sign that petition because I'm just, I'm not a big enough, I'm not a big enough Eagles fan, even though they beat the Patriots, that I want my son to go celebrate their victory. Consider it part of the college experience. You got to get out and expand your horizons. And, and sometimes Bud Light hands out lots of drinks to people who millions of people waiting to see their team celebrate a championship. So let them go. I'm paying, I'm paying a lot of money for him to be in college, and I kind of want him to get all the classes he can. That's true. That's fair. College isn't about <laughs> the classes, Jason. You know that as well as anyone. You are not, so you're not thinking like a dad. You are thinking like a wallet. That's what you're thinking, and that's fair. The, with the moment you pay your first college tuition, you too will think like a wallet. Hey, hey. I, I don't look forward to that. So. I, I will say, I will say, I, I still hold a very small grudge against the um, engineering professor whose name I won't mention on the show, who refused to cancel a quiz that we had in 2010, the day after the national championship game, that forced me to be late for the uh, players' return to Cameron. Um, so I, I just want to throw that out there. In 2001. Wait a Wait, wait. In 2001, I had the same thing, and we just said, screw it, and we left. We, we told yeah, our I, professor I, that we weren't going, and if she wanted to flunk the whole class, she could flunk the whole class, and thankfully she didn't. I took the, I took the quiz in about five minutes. I turned it in. I kind of glared at the professor for, for an extra half moment before I, before I walked out of the room, and I got a C in the class. So, yeah. Meh. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> Well, I got guys, I told you we had a treat, but before we get to dessert, we got to start with the veggies. Let's start with the bad stuff. Uh, Duke went up to Madison Square Garden to take on St. John's on Saturday. And after an incredibly frustrating game, Duke suffered an 81-77 defeat at the hands of the Red Storm. Sam, let me start with you. There's there's so much that I found wrong with this game and how we played, but I'm just going to ask you, what was what do you think was the biggest contributing factor to this uh, really bad loss? Oh, the turnovers. So many bad, stupid, unforced turnovers all over the place. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't feel the need necessarily to, to pile on so much, but um, Trevon Duval and Grayson Allen really just did not manage to keep the, the offense flowing correctly. I think that there was a rhythm that this Duke team had at some point that they have kind of lost on offense. Now, they're they're still rated pretty well uh, in in that offensive area, but um, the last few games it has seemed like they can't string together more than a couple minutes worth of competent passing and driving, and um, I, that's really disappointing. I know that Jason's going to want to talk about free throws and and rebounding and all of his all of his favorite things, but um, but it's the driving or sorry, it's the it's the passing, and then and then the other problem I think was just letting St. John's players led by Shamori Pons, who I think we we mentioned briefly in the preview. And, um, you know, we said that he's he's kind of their best player. 
led by him. I think he had over 30 points. Um, St. John's was able to just get to the rim, no problem, and and score against our defense. And when we get to the Carolina preview, it's we're gonna we're gonna talk a fair bit about interior defense. But um, I, I think those were the two factors that I, I really uh, am disappointed by and and need to see improved for the outlook for this Duke team to to be better um, going into March. Jason. I think a lot of it, the the offense was bad, like Sam said, and uh, I I I hate to call out an individual, um, but but I have to. Trevon Duvall is not playing good basketball. He's not even coming close to playing good basketball. He is not. He is supposed to be a facilitating point guard. He's not a shooting point guard. We know that. Um, He is supposed to be a facilitating point guard. And he is not helping this team get the ball in positions where we can score. Um, he, it, it, it feels like he doesn't know how to run the offense. It feels like uh, he, he's, I guess maybe he's afraid to be aggressive with the ball for most of the game. And then Duke gets down and suddenly he tries to take over and, and he's often able to take over. It's like, it's crazy. Like, how good he may be for like a three or four minute stretch on offense and then how bad he is for the other 32, 36 minutes of the game. It's like, it's this bizarre Jekyll and Hyde thing that he does. Um, but, but I want to put offense aside for a second. I want to talk about defense because I believe that is where Duke lost this ball game. Um, 77 points that we scored we can definitely do better. We usually do better. That's less than Duke usually scores. But to me, the problem is a St. John's team that is not a really good offensive team scored 81. And and I I want to I looked at some stats because that's I'm all about the statistics. Um, Duke, uh, you know, coming out of the NC State game, uh, everyone had identified that uh, that Duke was terrible on defense. Um, against NC State, we gave up 1.28 points per possession, 1.28 points per possession, which is really bad. Um, and then we had a run of games uh, against Pitt. We gave up 0.82 against my uh, awake. We gave up 0.9 against Miami 0.93 less than one point per possession is a, is a, a decent number for this Duke team to, to strive for. Um, and we had a run of one three, four, five, six, seven games in a row where we gave up less than one point per possession. The Virginia game, we came close. Naturally, a game that we lost. We gave up 0.99. But it felt like Duke was in the right kind of place, that we were we were giving up around 0.929394 points per possession. That's a good place to be. If Duke's in that kind of range, Duke is winning the ball game. Against St. John's, we gave up 1.18 points per possession. Now, I just went through numbers and numbers and numbers, and people are probably, their eyes are glazing over. But the bottom line is, St. John's scored too easily against Duke, especially in the second half. St. John's scored 49 points in the second half. That is an ungodly number against a a Duke team. It's an ungodly number when you consider that Late in the game, they were running the shot clock down as much as they could because they had the lead. Much of the second half, that's what they were doing. We were, we were, we were bad defending the three-point line. We were bad on offensive rebounds. And what ended up happening in this game 
I'm going to bring in my favorite stat. I gave earlier numbers. I got one more number to give folks. My favorite statistic, field goal attempts. When Duke loses the field goal attempt battle, we lose the game because field goal attempts are a great bundling of offensive rebounds and turnovers. Duke had a lot of turnovers. Duke gave up a lot of offensive rebounds. We got out offensive rebounded um, by St. John's. So as a result, field goal attempts. St. John took 65 field goal attempts, and Duke took 51. 65 to 51, 14 extra shots at the basket. They had 14 extra shots at the basket. Of course they beat us. I can't believe they only beat us by four with 14 extra shots at the basket. It's a miracle they only beat us by four. I mean that's so, that's that that's the talent difference, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Duke is, exactly. We we know Duke is a better team than St. John's. Everyone knows that Duke is a better team than St. John's. They just failed to prove it. So I, I think that leads into what I thought was the contributing factor of this game. We can talk about turnovers. We can talk about field goal attempts and and rebounding. All of that leads to one thing: intensity. And there were stretches, yeah. especially in the second half, right. we just did not have it. And they got every loose, they got every loose ball, every loose ball, every offensive rebound. It seemed like every, you know, every little detail in the game in the second half, especially went their way. And it wasn't because it was, you know, an unlucky bounce. You you have those in games sometimes, right? You have an unlucky bounce, you, you know, ball, you go for rebound and it glances off somebody's shoulder and it goes out of bounds and they keep the ball. It was more about St. John's saw that they could win this game and they wanted it more. And that's not something that you see a lot from a Duke basketball team is to be out intensified by another team. And if we even showed a tenth of uh, more intensity, we win this ball game because all these little things like turnovers, we will play smarter. Rebounding, we'll get more rebounds that will we'll limit them to one shot, which limits the number of field goal attempts they have. Those sort of things all come together for me, and, and just really in the second half especially, there were large stretches of game where I'm looking at the TV, I'm like, this team is not the team we've been watching all year, and that was the most concerning thing to me. You know, I think it's very telling that Coach K, I, I mean, I've, I don't think I've ever heard him this critical of a team as he was in the postgame news conference. He, he said that their effort was disgusting. He said that they didn't play basketball that was worthy of the program. I mean, that, that's some harsh criticism from your coach. Um, I, I, you know, it's interesting, the, uh, the DBR, the guys who, who write the main page articles in the DBR, um, speculated after this game that the team may, you know, may not have the rights to be in the locker room and that they're, you know, coach K will probably look at who the starters are and who really earns minutes and things like that. Um, in practice, I, I won't be at all surprised if we hear in the next couple of days about, um, you know, this team really being punished and having, it's not so much punished, but having to earn the right to be Duke basketball players again because so, so, they, wait, so, they lost. So go, I think they lost that right against St. John's. Okay, so they, they did that a couple of years ago. I, I don't know if that punishment actually worked, um, but if they were going to go forward with that, Jason, who would you like the starting lineup to be on Thursday against North Carolina to hammer home that point? Well, I, I, I know for sure Trevon Duvall should not start. 
I, you know, I, I would, uh, and in fact, I think Grayson Allen has been much better as a point guard than he has, has as a shooting guard or a small forward. He actually plays more small forward kind of when he, but I think he's been, he, uh, so I would, so I would probably bench, would you bench Duval and, and put like Jack White in? Um, yeah, maybe Jack White or maybe Alex O'Connell. I think O'Connell. I, I'm still not sure why O'Connell, O'Connell didn't play at all against St. John's. Yeah, I, th- I think O'Connell may have been sick. I think he, we've heard he had the flu, and I think he that may have been affecting him. Uh, hey, hey I, I, how about Javin Delor? How about Javin Delorier? If if Delorier is healthy, Delorier is, is a bundle of energy. I would love a bundle of energy out there against North Carolina um, at the start of the game. And, and when we get into our Carolina preview. Um, one of the things I'm going to talk about uh, is something that I think Delorier could could potentially help with. I I wouldn't mind seeing that. Um, I, I just don't uh, know if we've I, I don't know that we've seen much from Javin Delorier the last few weeks to know that he he would bring much. But I am curious to to hear what you think about that. Look, I, the the, bo- the bottom line is I'm not I'm not at practice to be able to see these guys play. Right. So that's that that's the, and, that, and that's I think that's where it's that's where it's and and so but so. If I was Coach K, here's what I would do the first practice after the game. We would come back, we'd get ready for practice, and, and guys would put on their blue or their white, you know, whether they're starters or not. And I'd say, no, 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 no one, no one is a starter right now. Go out there. Let's start doing some drills. Let's start doing, you know, whatever it is we're doing. We're mixing stuff up, and we will see who works the hardest. And guess what? If Mike Buckmeyer outworks you, I got no problem starting Mike Buckmeyer. I'm not saying Buckmeyer is going to play 40 minutes, but you got to earn the right to wear D-U-K-E on your chest. And these guys are slowly losing that right, in my opinion. Uh, I want to point out a couple of guys that I thought, you know, if we're talking about who earned that right, I, I, there's a couple of bright spots, I think, uh, in the performances on Saturday. Wendell Carter Jr. I thought had a great game, especially on defense. Uh, he had four blocks, and the four blocks really kept us in the game in the second half. Um, he had some blocks where he came from the other side of the court, and it was impo- it was an impossible angle to get underneath the basket and somehow put a hand on the ball. But he was able to do it. Uh, he also grabbed 15 rebounds. I thought he was one of the bright spots. And you know, I thought Marquise Bolden played well when he was in the game. He didn't he, he didn't turn the ball over that much. He didn't, you know, he was very even keeled. He played good defense on his on the guy he was uh scheduled to guard. I thought he did really well. And then Gary Trent Jr. I thought had uh, a good shooting day. Um uh, or actually a really great shooting day. He was 5 for 7 from 3, he had 22 points. He led all he led the scores uh, for Duke. So we talk about this, we we do have some bright spots, but I think as a whole there's something missing and, and hopefully, I mean, this is what we're going to talk about UNC in a little bit, but if, if you're going to miss something, you better find it for UNC because when I, when I talk about things like intensity, there's no more intense game on this planet than that game. So they better find it and they better find it pretty fast. I do like hey. that you, that you mentioned those bright spots because Carter and Trent in particular, and then Bolden in this game, but Carter and Trent in particular, the last few games have really, I think been, been Duke's best players. I agree. Um, oh my God, you're you're like reading my mind. I was I was just going to say for about two weeks now, for two weeks I think Carter and Trent have been Duke's two best players. And and I was going to ask you guys, um, yeah. do you all think I, I uh, you know, you talk uh, they talk sometimes about the freshman wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvin Bagley, you know, who, who was technically supposed to be in high school this year. I mean, I know he, you know, he's he's 
you know, almost the same age, and he's certainly physically mature enough to be in college. There's no question about that. Marvin Bagley has, it feels to me, has really hit the freshman wall lately. Yeah, well, he, if, he, if, seemed, he he's struggling more, much more on defense and isn't quite getting the same um, positioning on offense where I, I think earlier in the season he, he would get the ball and be in much more advantageous position to either take one dribble and go to the hoop or get, get himself an open shot or draw the double team. And, and we, I think, didn't give him enough credit for his, his passing ability for you know get, finding open shooters or, or giving it off to Carter or someone. And a lot of that seems to be missing now. And, and I, I think some of that's on him. Some of that, I think, is, is really on the offense being more stagnant, I think, which is what I talked about a little earlier. They're not moving around as much. They're not, they're not keeping their eyes up and looking for the ball. And so Bagley, more often now, is finding himself double-teamed like 15 feet away from the basket and, and having hands all over him where he can't find that outlet and, and does have to put up a bad shot. Um, so, I, yeah, I think, I well, think, I think that's a thing he could definitely improve on. Um, but, but he also had 19 and weeks, 7. He hasn't been there. Yeah, he also well, had 19 and 7 on, yeah. on Saturday. So if, if that's a freshman wall, that's, we're, we're still, you know, we have to talk about this. Since oh. That's a freshman wall. I'm okay with this wall, right? This is something that can be overcome. I think the big thing that's happening with Bagley is teams have realized that they can – push him out of where he wants to be in the post. And, and as a result, he's catching the ball further and further out. Now he's great facing the basket. He he's, he's great um, uh, driving and, and, and creating, you know, his own space in the post, but he's getting it outside of the post so much more than he used to, that he's being forced to take more and more difficult shots. And also teams are like, they're, they're, they're playing his left hand completely now. Um, they're they're basically saying go we, go ahead you, anything you can do to your right we'll let you do and and he so prefers to go to his left and use that left hand that I think he's taking less and less good shots and he's not finding his shot quite as well as he used to. So I think I think that's partially true, but I think on Saturday I mean he was six for ten and two of his misses were three point shots that basically rimmed in and out. So I, I wasn't really concerned about that. Where I'm concerned about his game is that teams have figured out that he is the focal point of the offense and that we try to establish that early. The reason why he has six turnovers on Saturday is not because he's getting bad positioning and bad shots. It's because he's getting the ball and teams are either converging on him or converging on the passing lanes where they know he's going to where where we normally throw the ball. The corner where Trent is usually there for an open three or one of the wings or somebody driving the lane. That is where they're collapsing, and they're not necessarily collapsing all the way around him, but they're collapsing to those angles so that when he has to get rid of the ball, he's throwing it right to somebody on the other team. And that's where they're, that's what the, and that goes back to Sam, where the offense is stagnant and people have figured out where, what our tendencies are, and we have to reinvent that. Bagley turnovers. So his six turnovers against St. John's was his worst of the season. His second worst performance was he had five turnovers against NC State. We lost that game. His third worst game, he had four turnovers against Boston College. Now, he had four turnovers in a couple other games, but no coincidence that the games where he's struggling to do what he wants to with the ball are the games that we have lost.
Today's podcast is proudly sponsored by two Duke Class of 78 alums and former roommates, Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird, both diehard Duke followers and the founders of Bird Campbell PA, a Duke-centric business law firm with offices in Dallas, Orlando, and the Gulf Coast. Having watched or cheered Duke football and basketball teams through close to 3,000 games, you can say they are true blue. Reach out to them at birdcampbell.com. That's B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. If for nothing else but to say, and especially this week, go to hell, Carolina. Okay, now that we're done with the awful part, we have a treat for you. We here at the DBR Podcast have been trying tirelessly for quite a while to secure someone from the Duke basketball team, either a staff member, a coach, or a player, uh, for an interview. And there was a point where last week we were talking about how that just wasn't going to happen. But we had a breakthrough. And late last week, Jason was fortunate enough to interview current Duke assistant coach John Shire, asking him about his recent addition, his, this year's Duke team, and whether he and Nolan Smith Still got it on the court. Let's take a listen to that wonderful interview featuring Duke assistant coach John Shire. Well, we now welcome to the DBR podcast one of the all-time great Blue Devils. He is one of the most versatile players in Duke history, concluding his playing career as the only Duke player ever. I love these stats. You know me, I love stats. He's the only Duke player ever to record 2,000 points, 500 rebounds, 400 assists, 253 pointers, and 200 steals. This guy filled up the box score. He was a two-time team captain, including captaining the 2010 National Championship team. And for the past four seasons, he has sat right next to Coach K on the bench as an assistant coach. Welcome to the DBR podcast, John Shire. John, thanks so much, man. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm excited to be here. First of all, I can't believe you're making time for this interview because you just became a daddy a couple days ago. Congratulations. <laughs> I did. Thank you very much. It's uh it was a pretty crazy experience. You know, I was we were playing Notre Dame and my wife went to the hospital and I thought there was a good chance. Uh we were told there was maybe not going to happen until the morning. And uh we got to the end of the first half and a manager, one of our managers, uh <laughs> Michael uh guy's name is Michael. He was behind the bench. He was talking to my parents who were with her and they said, All right, she she's getting close. She's gotta leave. <laughs> and so uh I um at halftime I told Coach I, I gotta run and uh, he was great about it and it was great to see by the time I got to the hospital, obviously it's my my energy was going into my wife and, and the baby, but uh seeing what our guys were doing on T V I was just getting glimpses just to know we were playing well and seeing what Jack White did was pretty exciting. I can't believe that you had a baby and you're still thinking about how Jack White's playing. That that's truly a coach. <laughs> well, okay, for the because my wife's probably gonna listen to this. Let me rephrase. It was it was the priority was the baby, priority was her. Jack White was an added bonus. Okay, that's how it went. It was just icing on the cake. That's all it was. And obviously, uh it was the best night of my life meeting my daughter, her name is Noah, and uh we uh could not be any any more blessed and thankful she's doing well my wife's doing well so i'm as happy as could be right now well again john congratulations that is so fabulous i'm a parent of two so i know what it's like it's a it's a truly special and amazing moment hey let's yeah, talk about that let's, is awesome let's talk about the team for a second i hate to have to do that segue but <laughs> that <is why> <laughs> that's why we're all here what 
what's been the biggest challenge that you guys have faced with this group? What's the thing that's uh, that's causing you the most headaches? Well, I, I think just the the youth of our team, and I think you hear that a lot, but I think mostly that comes into play when you're still trying to figure out who you are as a player at this level. And so I think that you go through our entire team. Uh, Grayson's the one guy. He's the one exception from that. But really, with with the rest of our guys, they're figuring out who they are. And so as we're playing these games, first couple of games in ACC, playing a high-level game against Virginia and games like that, I think we go through some stretches and some spurts uh, where it might not look the look the prettiest, and I think that's due to our guys just, just figuring out who they are and how to be successful, not only uh, individually, but then as a team. And so I think our guys have adapted great. Uh, all in all, they've been really, really good. But I think that's the one thing. There's no substitute for experience. And so uh, the games we've been in already this year, I think it really uh, paid off for our team uh, because, you know, when we get to March, you don't get, you don't get do-overs. So I would say that's the biggest thing right now. Uh, obviously, they have tremendous potential. You say they're young, but they're also incredibly talented. Are there things that you see in practice where you just go, uh, you know, oh, my gosh, that your jaw hits the floor and makes you realize they have the potential to win titles? Yeah, I mean, just the they're not only talented, you know, our guys are very it's a very competitive group. Um, it's a team that pushes each other. And I think the the times where our back has been up against the wall, um, obviously, you can look early in the year against Florida or Texas um, playing at Miami. Uh, I could go on and on about those moments. Our guys have not been afraid. And that's the one thing that's exceptional exceptional about this group. I don't know if if you can edit that out or not, but I I can say the word exceptional. But that was was tough to say that. Uh, But that's the one thing thing for our guys. Uh, They've not been afraid, and they've been really, really aggressive. And, you know, when the moment comes, they've really stepped up. So that's been impressive. So let's pretend that we just won the national title. What's the one thing that will have led to that victory, in your opinion? Well, you're jumping ahead. I mean, we have we have a long way to go for that. <laughs> but uh, I, you know, I, I think I think it's two things that that you know when if if you if you're talking about success in March and then hopefully shoot, of course we want to play in April and win the national championship. But I think our defense is really improved the last couple of weeks. Um, and that's going to still have to improve from this point to March to win. And then I think being able to, uh, being able to offensively just make each other better. And I think when we've gotten in trouble, because we've ha- we have some guys who are really talented, at, uh, individually offensive players and not, not just one or two, we have four or five guys like that. Um, when we break the defense down and make them work, I think we're an incredibly difficult team to, to guard. I think we let teams off the hook when, you know, we do it maybe after one pass or zero passes. And so it's not coming from a bad place, but it's just, again, knowing knowing the game and not letting the other team off the hook. So those two things are, are key for us. You know, um, you mentioned the defense. Real quick follow-up question to that. There are a lot of us who who watch the games and feel like the team tends to perform better playing zone than they do playing man. Um, do you agree? Do you disagree? What, what what's your thought about 
um, you know, where, where our most potential lies defensively? Well, I think both have been good for us. And I, I think sometimes you have to take into consideration uh, when, when you play a defense as your change-up defense, what we've done with our, with our zone. Sometimes that can be better because a team's not preparing for that, right? And so I think, I think we, we've been very solid in man. Uh, but I do think the zone I, – I think we're a good zone defensive team. You know, even early in the year against Michigan State, we played all zone. Uh, we did a very good job. We're a long team. We're active. I think both defenses can be good, um, but I think it depends on the opponent, depends on the, the, the time, the situation of the game. And also, I, I think that needs to be taken in, into consideration, though, um, when you when you – when you switch a defense up, sometimes I can throw off other other teams. So I, I think that's something we'll look to do. We'll always look to do that. When I played here, uh, we we were straight man no matter what. And so I think it's great that you know coach continues to adapt and figure out what's best for for our teams. Talk about how hard it is to teach defense to kids this young. Uh, we hear a lot about that. Uh, do you find that's the case also? Yeah, I, I think it's hard just to. Uh, teach the the speed of how you need to play defense and so you know as things are happening in in game time speed knowing your rotations knowing the next rotation knowing where to move how to talk uh how to you know close out and then you add in you know knowing scouting so am i closing out to a driver or a shooter and things like that i think for for one year it's hard to reach your maximum potential all the time and so we're trying to cram that in you know and I, I can only speak to my experience as a player uh you know by the time you get to be a junior or senior I feel like is really when you're hitting your groove knowing you know you know so much more by then and where you're able to know it at the speed I think that's that's the difference and so that's something we've uh, really come a long way in, but I think it just takes time sometimes, and so we're we're going through that uh, process right now. Uh, so I know you work, or at least I've heard that you work with the guards a lot. I mean, obviously that's what you did when when you were at Duke. Um, a lot of people give you credit for developing folks like Tyus Jones, Luke Kennard, Grayson Allen into first round draft picks, likely first round draft picks. I know every player is unique, but what's your theory for teaching the guards how to succeed? You know, I, I just think for for a guard, you know, it's there's no better place to play than here. First and foremost, I think you have uh, the ultimate green green light and the ultimate freedom to play here. And the thing I tell our guards is, with that freedom comes responsibility. And so you need to make sure you're putting in the work, uh, you're, you're taking care of all the preparation because uh, there's not we don't run a set system we're run we're running these set plays a lot of our stuff comes from making reads and so just learning the game uh i think each guy is different you coach each guy different i think that's one of the things i've i've enjoyed and learned as i've gone on in my coaching career is you don't coach tyus jones the way you coach grayson allen and you figure out how to get to each guy and i've had a lot of fun working with a lot of talented players that we've had here and they've all wanted to be coached. They've all wanted to be taught. And so uh, it's been it's been a real pleasure for me. 
talking a little bit about the freedom that, that guys get, it feels like that's a little bit of a message for kids who are thinking about coming to Duke. I want to talk about recruiting for a moment because you guys are on a truly incredible run. Uh, I mean, we've never seen anything like this before. What's the mess? I know you can't mention certain players by name because there are right, rules right. in the such. <laughs> so I'm not going to mention anyone by name. But what's the message that you use to convince these kids to come to Duke, to share the ball, to not be the star someplace else, and come be part of a bigger dream and a bigger program at Duke? What's the message that gets them to come here? Well, I think first and foremost, you come here because you want to be the best and you want to be pushed and coached. And, you know, if you want to be the best, you know, you want to be coached by the best. And Coach K, there's no one like him ever in the history of college basketball, what he's done. And so I think Coach has a lot to do with it. And we're not just looking for the most talented players. I think we are looking for the guys who want to make a mark in college, who really want to win, who are about the team. And it just so happens that some guys that are the best players in the country fit that mold of who we look for. And so uh, we're really excited about the class. Obviously, can't talk about it uh, in in, uh, full depth. Uh, but we're really excited, and I, I think lastly, the fact that we've had a coach here uh, in Coach K that's been here for such a long time—that's what the brotherhood is to us. The, all, all the players who have played here, uh, the connection we have, the the guys we have—not only in the NBA but uh, in sports and in broadcasting and all different walks of life—and um, we're all family. And so to me, it's. Uh, I feel blessed to be a part of the family and we don't, we don't sell things to guys. We don't recruit them. We, we believe in this place and we just share that to the guys that we uh, want to step in, uh, step in next to our program. Hey, I want to reflect, I want to reflect for a moment on your national title and your time at Duke. Um, What is your biggest memory from the 2010 national title game? Wow, that's a that's a throwback. It's uh it's fun to think about. You know, I, I'll never forget. You know that game was a really tricky game. It's one of those games. Sometimes you play in games and it feels like it's a long game or a fast game, and that game it, it flew by to me. You know, I felt like we were in control for most of the game. I'll never forget. We were up we were up five, and we came up empty on two possessions, and they scored on two possessions, so they cut it to one. And I don't remember the exact time, but I know there's under a minute left. And I remember bringing the ball up the floor, and we were gonna, you know, uh, we were actually gonna call a timeout to get a set play. Um, but as I was bringing the ball up the floor, I felt the entire stadium stand to their feet, and you know, there's seventy thousand plus people there, and probably a good amount, good amount of those seventy thousand were rooting for Butler, being in Indianapolis. Uh, but it was it was a very surreal moment. You know, you you think about playing at the highest level, and I don't care. I don't think LeBron James has ever played in a game like that. He's obviously played in bigger games, but when you think about seventy thousand people in a football stadium, national championship, you're up one, you have the ball in your hands with you know fifty seconds left. That was a very cool moment. And for a split second, I just kind of took it in, and I don't think I'll ever ever forget that. Uh, and obviously winning it was, uh, you know, was uh, my life would have never been the same if we didn't win that national championship. So uh, amazing memories. 
What a great answer. Hey, was there a moment during that season where you where you realized where you were like, you know what, we got the talent, we can win a national title here? Yeah, you know, I felt all along that that team. Uh, I truly believed we're meant and had a chance to win a national championship. I think our team really hit a, a different level when when Zoobs, you know, did what he did, you know, against Maryland, and then he, you know, strung a couple games together in a row like that. I felt like we really started to find something, an, another dimension with our team, and. Um, you know, we, we went on, shoot, we won every game the rest of that year, except we lost at Maryland, which we had, uh, several opportunities to win. Of course we won the ACC championship and the, and then the national championship. Um, but I think that was, that was a defining moment when Zubes kind of hit his stride as, some here's the best offensive rebounder in the country, probably the best rebounder in the country. And, uh, that was, that was, I, I would say the, the moment. So we're we're getting close to wrapping it up. I've just got a couple questions left. Important one though, who wins more one on one, you or Nolan? You guys must play all the time. See, here's the thing: you're, you're trying to split up the dynasty. Nolan and I always play together, so that's the thing. We always play together. Oh, okay. We're undefeated. <laughs> we're, we're undefeated in 2018. I'll tell you that much. And we're undefeated since I've had a baby girl. We're one and zero since then, and so I can tell you that much. We 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 play together. That's my guy, and uh, <laughs> so uh, so yeah, we have we have fun getting it in still when we can. Wait, wait, who do you play against? We get you know our managers we play against, and uh, and uh, sometimes we have guys that come in from out of town. We 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 find we find guys, and uh, our managers mostly though take uh, play us. So they're. They're a decent challenge. They're good guys. They compete hard. Um, but Nolan and I, our chemistry is just too much, too much for him. But like you'd never have played like Tyus and Justice or, or like this year, you wouldn't take on like Trevon and Wendell or anything like that, right? Luckily for them, no. But, you know, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> no, we, we don't. But uh, maybe in the off season, we'll give them a crack at it. Okay. So last question. I ask this of every single person who comes on the show. We asked them for a good story about Coach K, and we've gotten some great ones in the past. We've gotten stories about Coach K using a samurai sword to motivate the team and all kinds of other really good stuff. So what is your the best Coach K story that you can tell us for the public? That's a great question. You know, it's hard because there are so many. And um, so this is this is story you kind of hear like in movies or – you know, anything like that. But when we were getting our butts handed to us when I was a freshman, you know, it's a really trying season. It was, it was a frustrating year and we had 22 and 11. We had two different losing streaks of four games. And during the second losing streak, coach called a meeting in his office. And he said, he, he was talking specifically about my, my class, which is myself, Gerald Henderson, Lance Thomas, Brian Zubek. And it's uh, and coach said in the meeting, he was talking about our team and all the things we need to do better and uh, a lot of things we need to do better. But he said, listen, you guys, your class, you follow what you've been doing. You guys will win a national championship before you leave here. I can see it. You guys have it. Follow your instincts and, 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 and I'm with you. 
And I'll never forget that moment. And as soon as we won the national championship, you know, flash forward a few years, and I went up to coach and I said, remember when you told us we were going to win a national championship when we sucked? <laughs> and he said, yeah. And it's just, you know, coach has amazing insights. Uh, and he doesn't just say things to say things. Uh, I'll tell you one other quick thing before before we go. He did the same thing in 2015 when we won the national championship that year. We're playing Carolina at home. I'm sure you guys remember the game. We're down seven with a minute 30 left. And Coach huddles the guys up and says, look, we're going to win this game. And you could tell he meant it. He believed it. He knew it. And sure enough, we come out, we make some plays and tie it up, send it into overtime, and we win. So stuff like that is, uh, you know, his feel for the game, his insights is uh, one of a kind. Well, John, you're you're a student of the game. That was supposed to be my last question, but one more thing just occurred to me. I mean, you're a coach, you're a player, so smart about it. Is there a piece of advice you can give to us fans so that when we watch games, it'll make us smarter about basketball? What should we watch for that most fans miss that you you as a coach see all the time? Yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, actually, that's a really good question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that before in that way. Um, you know, I think a lot of the game, uh, I hate to say fans, but I think people in general don't look at the quote-unquote smaller things of the game. You know, like, I think if you look at our next game or any game in college, you know, what team gets the most loose balls? You know, the the, the long rebounds, uh, the deflections, those loose balls. I think that's such a huge thing. You know, are we setting screens? Are we making each other better? I, I, I think a lot of times we get caught up with the dunks or the uh, the amazing plays or crossovers. And really the game to me is about making each other better. And those those small things add up to big things. And so uh, that's what we look for as coaches. I know as a player I grew to appreciate those things even more. Um, my, my teammates give me a hard time because I actually took a charge in the national championship game. I don't know. It was my first game, my freshman year. No one expected me to take a charge. And so I think that's an example, but, uh, but yeah, I would say, I would say those things, uh, would be something to, to pay attention to more. John, Hey, again, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate you joining us here. Uh, good luck to you, to the coaches, to the players on the rest of the season. Just know that all of us will be watching with bated breath, and uh, we really hope it ends the way several of the other seasons you've been around the program ends with, uh, with more rings on your finger. Well, that would be great, and I appreciate you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on. Okay, a million thanks to John Shire for coming on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We really appreciate him being on. We're going to do some reactions to this interview, and I'm going to start with you, Sam. What, what, what were your takeaways? Well, I think the most important thing is that he talked about how tough it is to get all the young guys um, playing together on defense and, and how challenging that is. Um, I, I, I enjoyed generally how candid he was throughout the interview and um, was surprised at, at kind of how much insight he was willing to give us about how that process has gone this year. Uh, and then kind of on the, the fun side, I, uh, that, that question about him and Nolan Smith was, was really the one that I wanted to ask. And um, I'm kind of bummed that he didn't give me the, the Shire versus Smith 
one-on-one answer that that we wanted. Um, and I also wonder how, uh, like, uh, what is the competition supposed to be between two former Duke All-Americans and the the guys who are the managers for the program? I mean, I, I know that from time to time, Duke will get managers who are really talented basketball players, but it's not like they're recruiting for those guys. Those are just those are just the guys who get those jobs. So, yeah, when he um, when he said he was they were undefeated, I was like, oh, that's so cool. I, you know, yeah, th- like they, if even, he was undefeated against like Jeff Capel or like right, or like if they're a random alum, like like is Jared, Wait, Jeff Capel Jeff Capel's Jeff Capel's ten years older than him and clearly not in planning shape anymore. I thought he was going to say that they were undefeated against like oh like Gerald they Henderson. play yeah uh, okay yeah right like exactly like Gerald Henderson when he comes back in town you know or Nate James gets together with. Undefeated against the managers. I mean, come on, John. Come on. Yeah, he, he could have done better with that. I but mean, otherwise, look, he, he may be holding out. Like when I was when I was listening to it, it, it sounded like he might have been holding back. Maybe there is somebody that he that they're playing and they just didn't want to put them on blast as, as having beaten them. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think there's there might be something more than him just playing the managers and, and those two playing the managers are just whooping up on them every chance they get. I have to say, so my two favorite things from the interview, one was when he when he suddenly realized when he was telling the story about his his beautiful baby girl being born, and he suddenly realized that uh, that I caught it I kind of called him out on the fact that he, rather than paying attention to his wife and baby, that he sort of noticed how Jack White had played against Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Oh, wait a second, hold on, because my wife is going to listen to this." And he corrected himself. Um, I thought that was hysterical, uh, and and it does show you though how how focused this guy is on on coaching and on the team, and I, I love that. Um, and then the other thing I really enjoyed was his reflections on the moment in the two, in the 2010 national championship game, and you know looking around and and seeing where he was and thinking about where he'd come from and all those other kind of things. I thought, uh, like Sam said, I thought John Shire was incredibly candid and forthcoming and honest with us. And I really, really admired that. Uh, and it was tremendous fun. I, I'm so fortunate that I got the chance to speak with him. Yeah, it was, I thought it was really cool when he was talking about that. He had mentioned, uh, you know, when his class was freshman, uh, coach K came up to them and said, you know, I think that you guys, if you perform hard, you perform well and, and work hard, you guys are going to win a national championship while you're at Duke. And for him to, you know, he said the first thing he did is he grabbed Coach K and said, remember what you told us in that locker room four years ago? And Coach K said, absolutely, I do. And for that to come full circle, I think, is always a, a moment that I'm sure every basketball player would love to have. Uh, and I'm glad that he was candid about that, you know, that, you know, part of his college experience and how he was able to fulfill that prophecy, I guess. All right, folks, we got a big game this week. On Thursday, Duke will travel eight miles down 15501 to the Dean Smith Center in Chapel Hill to take on North Carolina. Both teams are coming into this game in some minor slumps, but as the saying goes, throw all that out the window. We all know this. This is the biggest, baddest, best rivalry in college basketball, and it's finally here. We are going to give you some re- some predictions for this game some some things to look for i'm going to start with jason we kind of split it up a little bit but jason give me your keys to victory 
Well, so we divided things up, and I got the UNC defense. And it may seem a little strange to start with defense, but I, I actually think there's an aspect um, of Carolina's defensive effort that is the key to the game. Um, uh, and we've talked about it a lot this year. Uh, I think the key to the game is rebounding because North Carolina coming into this season had lost all their big men from last year. Not like most of their big men, they'd lost all, well, I guess Luke May. Sorry, I forgot about Luke May. Yes, they had lost virtually all their big men from last year. Luke May was the only guy coming back, and Carolina won the national title. (coughs) I hate even saying those words, but they won the national title because they were an incredibly dominant rebounding team. And the conventional wisdom was with the, they, they didn't have studly big man recruits coming in. They, they only brought back Luke May, who, who was not an amazing, great rebounder. He's good, but he wasn't incredible. And the conventional wisdom was they would not be nearly as good a rebounding team this year. Well, that's wrong. <laughs> it is unbelievable. I don't know how Roy Williams does it, but this North Carolina team is number one in the nation. They lead the nation again in rebounding. They grab 57.7% of all available rebounds. They are tops in the nation, grabbing a total of 43.4 rebounds per game. They are second in the country in defensive rebounding. This is a team that gets rebounds. And and look, it's going to be a case of the immovable object against the unstoppable force because Duke is also a great rebounding team. Carolina's number one in rebounding. Duke is number two in total rebounds, number four in rebounding percentage. It is going to be so important for us playing Carolina to grab rebounds because that's their only chance in this game. So again, looking at the defense, which is my assignment um, out here, Carolina is not nearly as good on defense this year as they were last year. Um, They're pretty good. They're number 29 in Pomeroy, um, but they aren't quite as good as they were last year. And there's a reason why. And it's really interesting because this isn't necessarily something that you would identify as something that Duke typically takes advantage of, but we're going to have to. Carolina is terrible guarding the three-point line. I mean terrible. And it may be that what they do is they they get in the lane, so they get all the rebounds, and they give up all the threes. North Carolina is 312th in the nation in opponent three-point field goal percentage. Their opponents... A, a big game coming from uh, from Gary Trent here? Oh, yeah. Little Gary Trent time, yes. And, and I'm hoping Grayson Allen finds his stroke. If he's going to find his stroke, now is the time. Because North Carolina... Like in recent games, Carolina's been really struggling lately. And in, in like their past like four, five, six games, something like that, their opponents are hitting 45% of their threes. I mean, that's a big, big number. This Carolina team, the way you can get them on the defensive end of the floor is you can score from the outside. So it's going to be really interesting. My, my assessment, and again, my assignment was to look at them on a, from a defensive standpoint. This, they're, they're going to be they're going to be smaller than Duke most of the time, but they are really good at rebounding. But their their focus is going to have to be getting out to the three point line, and Duke's focus is going to have to be finding a way to make sure they don't get beat on the boards 
And also make sure we take advantage of Carolina's biggest weakness, which is guarding the three. Sam, I believe you had the Carolina offense. Tell me a little bit about what to expect there. So to start, I, I will make almost the exact same point that you made, which is about rebounds. Um, UNC is third in the country in offensive rebounding rate. And uh, we know that Duke is is first in offensive rebounding, but but UNC is almost almost as good as the Blue Devils are at grabbing their own misses. And uh, and you mentioned Luke May. It kind of it kind of starts with him. He's averaging a total of eighteen points and ten rebounds a game, and nearly three of those rebounds are offensive. Um, but they also get contributions from Theo Pinson as well as their um, as well as their two backup big men, uh, Sterling Manley and Garrison Brooks. Um, all these guys are are good on the offensive glass, and that is a lot of where UNC's offense is coming from. A couple of the guys are 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 okay at at shooting from outside, but but the offensive rebound is really key. Um, and then, of course, the the other players to be looking out for on the offensive end are Joel Berry and Theo Pinson, who have both been around for a long time. Um, Pinson's actually leading the team in assists this year. Uh, so he and he and Barry share the ball pretty well, and um, uh, but the we we know the shooting is not is not the strong suit for Carolina. Um, so forcing them to take more outside shots, trying to keep them off the glass, is going to be key for Duke. Um, and and most importantly, I think it's stopping Luke May because he's their leading scorer. He's kind of who the offense runs through. Um, so I I'm interested to see maybe Duke has a double team plan in place for Luke May. Maybe they've got a zone that's going to collapse on him. Um, there's a couple different ways I think you can defend them. And um, we know that Duke's defense has struggled in the last few weeks. Um, so maybe this is an opportunity for them to kind of right the ship against a team that I think is actually a little bit easier to to defend against. Like the, the defensive game plan is a little bit simpler than it might be against a team that can really rein it from, from outside. Uh, but like I said, Offensive rebounding is, is the key here. Duke needs to keep UNC off the glass. And uh, so one of or both of Carter and Bagley um, need to have really strong rebounding games against Carolina if Duke wants to uh, come away with a victory in Chapel Hill. So the one thing I was going to focus on is the intangible since uh, Sam and Jason focus on offense and defense. And the one thing that I'll always say about games in the Dean Dome is that they're always a struggle. Uh, on both ends of the court it's going to be one of those things where tempo wise where we have to we have to limit the turnovers that we have because all of that the the powder keg of energy that's in that building is going to explode every single time that that we do something uh that goes against what we're trying to do so uh, for example our, our our freshmen have never experienced this before we have a we have a very young team and most of our team has not really experienced this. Uh, a lot of the guys who are going to contribute have not been in this kind of environment. Have not they, we, We've played on the road, but there's playing on the road and there's playing in UNC at Chapel Hill. They have to come out with the intensity of a lifetime. Anything, they have to channel every single ounce of energy that they have and really go after UNC because if they do that, UNC has been proven this year that they're not – that great you know they they started out they they have a good young team i'm sorry not a good young team they have a good experienced team but for some reason at home it just hasn't been clicking for them but we can't count on them 
So we can't count on UNC to just not click. We have to go and take this game. And I think on our freshman end, Grayson Allen has to be the best leader that he can be. And I think if he can do that, we will have a good chance down in Chapel Hill because that leadership is going to be key to getting our guys ready to experience the atmosphere that they're going to experience. And we all talk about how the Dean Dome is a wine and cheese crowd, and it normally is. But for Duke UNC, you got to throw everything out the window, and you have to expect the unexpected. You have to expect that this is going to be the wildest crowd you will ever experience. And if they can come out and battle that, I have a good feeling that we'll win this game. I'll, I'll say this. This is a game between two teams that are both a little bit desperate. And I think Absolutely. it's going to be... It's going to be really interesting to see what happens in that regard. Um, Duke is desperate because that loss to St. John's, um, you know, just rattled us, I think. Um, it just was not a game we were supposed to lose. Uh, but Carolina is desperate because this is a club that is six and five in the ACC. They've lost three of their past four games in the ACC. The only victory they have in their past four games is against Pitt, and that doesn't even count. It shouldn't count. The pit is, and that's you know, coming, and that's coming from us right after Duke has lost a game to St. John's. Right, right. So they've lost three out of four. They have this game against Duke. Carolina's closing stretch: four of their final six games are on the road. One of their home games is against a Miami team that is playing really good basketball right now. Duke's win at Miami is looking better and better, uh, you know, as each game passes. Um, this is a brutal brutal final stretch that Carolina has a team that's lost three out of four if they lose this game to Duke their season could spiral out of control really really quickly and I you know I I think that they're going to come out they're going to show tremendous intensity I bet the Tar Heels I believe and Duke's going to have to match that intensity look this this is a lot of what we saw against St. John's St. John's would not let us get the loose balls St. John's was going hard to the basket and playing physical on defense the whole time. I think that's what you're going to see from UNC. And it's going to be really interesting to see if Duke can respond to that and match it and find a way to win uh, you know, against a really, really, really good team in that team's home, home court. And one final thing that I'll note is this entire year we've talked about, and, and not just us, all of college basketball has talked about how good this Duke team can be. How good are they compared to some of the, the, re- the rest of the, uh, the, the good teams in college basketball? We've been at or near the top of the polls all year. And even when you're talking about bracketology that you know, obviously is way too early to predict where we would end up in March Madness, but we've been on the, on the top line the whole year. Today, the polls came out and we're now ninth in the in the AP poll and most bracketology has us on the two line. This is the first time that 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 loss to St. John's is the first time that college basketball experts, analysts, fans are starting to question whether this Duke team is as good as we thought it was back in November. And yeah, this I, is a good I, chance I, to make a statement for this I'm team. I'm not sure Duke's going to have to win a lot of games in a row to sort of reclaim thinking that they could be a one seed, uh, especially knowing that UVA is is clearly running away with the ACC. They still haven't lost, and uh, Duke's definitely not going to, or not definitely, I mean, it's still possible, but Duke is probably not 
catching UVA for the one seed in the ACC tournament. Um, they could still get another shot at them when uh, when uh, all the teams are in Brooklyn in March. But um, for the time being, yeah, Duke is Duke is a two seed at best, and and they got a they have, they have a few more games where they have to prove that they are worthy of of even being that high. I think right, and I think the the narrative would be if we go into Chapel Hill and we lose, the narrative is going to be that there's something wrong with this Duke team. If we go into Chapel Hill and we put on a, a great performance and we beat UNC and we beat them pretty soundly, the narrative on Friday morning is Duke is back. There was nothing to worry about. Just a just a, another you know bump in the road, and, and so I think that's why this game is super important for our guys. Is they have to respond to that. They have to come out and say what you saw from us on Saturday in New York City is not the Duke team that you should expect the rest of the year, and it starts right now. So. I think it'll be a great game. Obviously Uh, it's always one of those games where uh, I I wish I had a box of Maalocs available, but uh, it's going to be a good game. And and if we can come out with some fire and some passion, it's going to be one for the ages. All right. As usual, it's time to give out our player of the week honors. And I'm going to start with Sam. So I know that we said that Gary Trent and Wendell Carter both had um, pretty good showings against St. John's, but I, since I don't know when I'm next going to be able to give the player of the week to him, would like to give my player of the week honor this week to Marquise Bolden, who in limited minutes against St. John's, as, as we pointed out, um, had a pretty decent night and um, looked, I think, better than he has in weeks. Obviously, he was dealing with the injury that kept him out of a few games to his knee. Um, so Marquise Bolden, my player of the week. Jason? I think I may be three weeks in a row now that I've gone Wendell Carter Jr. and I'm going Wendell Carter Jr. again. Uh, I, you know, as we said earlier, um, he and Gary Trent have been the two best players for Duke over the past couple weeks. I think he has elevated his game. I, I think it was Sam who pointed this out. Wendell Carter's defense is on a different level from where it was a month ago. Um, and it's not just rim protection. He is giving us elite, elite rim protection. But it's not just rim protection. I think he's he's helping way better than he used to. He seems to be hedging properly. Uh, it feels like, you know, he he really understands much more than he used to where he's supposed to go, how he's supposed to talk, all those things. Um, he he's he's doing a heck of a job. Um, and and so my player of the week is Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, I'm glad that you guys mentioned Marquise Bolden and. Uh, Wendell Carter. I was thinking about going Wendell Carter, but uh, I wanted to make sure that the three guys who I thought played the best in the game on Saturday all got nominations. And so I am going to go with Gary Trent Jr. Uh, he was ACC like, Rookie of the Week, Gary Trent Jr. There you go, and, yep. and, and with and with good reason. He's been shooting lights out uh, the last couple weeks. Uh, as Jason said, he's been one of our best players uh, by a long shot, and and it's very good to see that he is continuing that trend uh, as we enter UNC, because I think his, like you said, Jason, his three-point shooting is going to be very, very key on Thursday night. If he can keep him hot, uh, he's going to have a a really, really good day uh, uh, against UNC. So he is my player of the week. Now it is time for parting shots, and I will start with you, Jason. So I want to tip my cap to Tide. 
Tide. I'm talking Tide. Tide, the the laundry detergent manufacturer. And did I'm you, of course talking. Did you talking, eat a Tide pot? I thought. I thought I did not a, eat a Tide uh, pot. No, this was not was about eating say, Tide I, pods. I, I, I thought they were a convenient food manufacturer. No, no, this is not about consuming Tide pods. I tip my cap to Tide because I think. There's always, every year to me, it's a challenge to see who's going to come up with the most clever, the funniest, the best Super Bowl commercial. And I think Tide truly accomplished something special last night with their series of ads that were that said, no, it's a Tide commercial. It's a Tide ad. They, they all starred David Harbour from Stranger Things. And I, I, love, I love Stranger Things so much. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, the, the idea behind these ads... I'm, I'm going to say this like people didn't see them. <laughs> what am I doing? Everyone saw them. They know what the idea behind the ads is. The idea behind the ads is that they take sort of iconic other ads for other products and and they and they interrupt the ad and they go, no, this is really a Tide commercial, um, you know, because they show that the person's wearing bright, you know, colors or, or his white looks really white or something like that. And by doing that, they made me think throughout the entire, podcast like literally every commercial that would happen i would think wait is this actually a commercial for pepsi or is it secretly a tide commercial um and and to me that was brilliant and so tip of my cap my parting shot love those super bowl commercials the campaign it wasn't the best one like the one i liked the best was the amazon alexa commercial especially with anthony hopkins at the very end of it but uh, but I thought the Tide campaign was the smartest campaign that I saw at the Super Bowl last night. Sam? I wanted to just give a quick shout out to all of our relatively new listeners. I I watch our listenership um, sort of throughout the episodes, and I can see kind of the general trend of it climbing up. So uh, thanks to all of our recent subscribers. Uh, it seems like we got more people than ever listening to the show, and that's really great. We we appreciate it, and we hope that you keep telling all of your fellow Duke fan friends um, to come check us out at Duke Basketball Report. That's awesome. Thank you to all you guys out there. Um, my parting shot is a personal one. Um, as all you guys know, it's Black History Month, uh, We where we kind of recap some of the great achievements that uh, African-Americans and black people as a whole have done uh, and also uh, recount some of the hardships that have that we have endured along the way. And one project that I have been doing uh, on the side here, uh, as most most of you know, I am a soccer fan. I, I follow the U.S. national teams around uh, throughout the year. Uh, but for Black History Month, I wanted to do something that was a personal journey uh, of growth uh, and, and kind of learning uh, about some uh, black history uh, of soccer. And so I've started a series where I'm writing an article uh, at starsandstripesfc.com. That is another SB Nation blog, but it covers the U.S. Uh, national teams. Uh, so you can check it out on SB Nation. But every day this month, uh, and there's going to be 28 stories uh, on 28 different uh, Black History moments, uh, a key player, um, or, or, or other key moments in black soccer history. Some you guys may be familiar with if you are into soccer and some you may be reading about for the first time. So uh, I, I'm just giving a shameful, shame, shameless plug. Um, go ahead and check that out. Uh, and hopefully uh, you'll learn something as I've already done. Uh, we've got a lot of things coming up this month. Uh, and like I said, I'm going to try to do a story every single day uh, to bring you guys a little story about black soccer history. So uh, just a cool project that I'm doing this month and uh, hope you guys check it out. 
That is really cool. I can can I really really quickly connect sort of your parting shot and my parting shot and ask you did you see the Dodge Ram ad where they use Dr. Martin Luther King's speech? Uh do, do you want me to do you want me to go angry because I can go angry. I did Oh my see god, it. that was I'm I'm not African American and I found that to be one of the most offensive things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it it was it was appalling. Uh just it didn't I, I, make yeah. any sense. Well, it's just that's the part of it. Yeah. It, it it didn't make sense because as soon as literally when if you guys haven't seen it they they talk about it, it opens up with a caption that says March or February fourth nineteen sixty eight fifty years ago today Martin Luther King said this and it's a it's a very famous speech that he gave about how capitalism should not define you and one of the things in the in the whole speech is how he says. You know, you don't have to have a nice car. You you shouldn't have to worry about what car your neighbors have or what car you have because that doesn't define you. And they took that speech and turned it into you should buy a Dodge Ram. And I think that was absolutely a distortion of what Dr. Martin Luther King was trying to profess. And also just absolutely appalling that they would use his words that were really used to ask people to define themselves by their character and turn that into an ad to buy a car and, and or buy a truck. And I think that was just absolutely out of line. I, I can't, I can't even begin to figure out how that ad made it through. I mean, there had to be at least five or six meetings or maybe 10 or 15 meetings where people where that, where that ad was discussed and never in any of those meetings did someone go, you know what? I've thought about it a little bit more, and this is the worst idea we've ever had. So I mean, come on. <laughs> so Jason, I will answer that question. How did it get through all those rounds probably of, of talks and, and, and people discussing it and deciding whether or not it was a bad idea? Because there was nobody in that room, I'm guessing here, there was probably nobody in that room who had the ability to tell them that this was a bad idea. That's plain and simple. And I think that goes to a further stretch of why we have Black History Month, because we need to expose these, these hardships that we've endured. We have to talk about, drive the conversation about why things like that, that commercial are so appalling to us, why that, it, why that really eats at the fabric of a history that has already been you know, mostly washed out of history. Uh, out of the out of the history books and how we're trying to have to find ourselves daily because it's it's a very it's a it's a large struggle. I mean, for me to even find out where my parents came from was a struggle. You know that that sort of thing is what Black History Month is all about, where we try to reconnect and we try to learn from the mistakes that that this country has made with regards to African Americans and figure out how we should never do that again. But things like that commercial last night are really why we have to have that conversation way beyond February. Man, I'm, I'm glad I brought this up because that answer, Donald, that was, that was very eloquent, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I guess, guys, that's going to do it for episode 104 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. A reminder for you folks that you can check us out on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And we ask that you please subscribe. And if you love what you're listening to, be sure to rate us and give us a review. It really helps us with searches and we absolutely appreciate it. If you have any complaints about what you're hearing, feel free to email us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. 
a quick note about our upcoming schedule. We will be recording our next episode immediately following the UNC game on Thursday. So look for that episode, hopefully ready for your listening pleasure on Friday morning. Until then, for Sam Klein and Jason Evans, I'm Donald Wine. Thank you all so much. And while the Duke band plays us off, let me just say it one more time with emphasis. Go to hell, Carolina.